Morning, everybody. Good morning. So we'll be in uh, Matthew uh, chapter, let's see, chapter 3. In the first verses uh, of the chapter last week, uh, we learned about John the Baptist. And so we're going to uh, pick back up there, and then we're going to uh, look at the account of the baptism of Jesus. Uh, there's only a few verses there, so it won't take us very long, but we're going to have part of the, our time to uh, use this as an opportunity to talk about the topic of uh, baptism. So, you know, going verse by verse, we usually goes verse by verse, but occasionally those verses will lead us uh, to where it's good to uh, kind of camp out for a few minutes and, and talk about uh, a particular topic. So if, um, if you have uh, ideas or, or questions about baptism, uh, hopefully we'll get to some of those uh, after our verses. So in verse 11 from last week, Matthew says uh, that John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this talks about uh, really the, the heart of what Jesus' ministry was going to be about. Um, repentance, um, he, he talks about that as, as being important, of course, as being a prerequisite. But then he talks about Jesus, who's going to come with Holy Spirit and with fire. And this fire calls back to some of the prophecies, um, especially in Malachi, that talks about when the Lord comes, there was going to be an element of judgment, a, a a situation where right will be restored. And so there's that element to what Jesus' ministry is going to be about as well. And we see this with this winnowing fork um, helping to separate uh, the wheat from the chaff. So the wheat would be the good part that you'd want to keep, and the chaff would be blown away. And um, you could argue that the most polarizing person throughout all of history would be Jesus because you're either for him or against him. Uh, you're either with him or you're not with him. And so uh, this is this very clear um, purpose of, of Jesus' ministry uh, to separate those uh, who will be his and those who will be the chaff and will be burned up. So that's the, the introduction uh, by John the Baptist as to what this one who is going to come after him uh, is going to be all about. So now we come to verse 13 and it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. These are likely familiar verses uh, to, to most of us, I would assume, that um, we've, we've seen the, the, I remember the old big picture that had the, 
the picture of Jesus standing there with the dove, you know, perched. Um, does it say where? It doesn't say where the dove was perched. I guess that's a little artist uh, discretion. Um, but, uh, and whether it was an actual dove or it says the Spirit of God descending like a dove, so those are all debatable points. But uh, all of us have, have seen this uh, story, um, this account, uh, all at once, you know, all three persons of the Trinity, and certainly this could be a, a valid place to talk about the Trinity if we wanted. But just to look at parts of this, it says, verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to baptize me? So, so John's first reaction is, I, I, don't, I don't need to be doing this. You're, you're fine. Um, in fact, Maybe you ought to be baptizing me. And my kind of just assumption, I guess, you know, you, you're in church long enough, you you start to, you know, put two and two together, and occasionally it adds up to four, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I had assumed that that at this moment was when John's eyes were opened. We talked about that John most likely knew Jesus, and they were cousins we think it's uh, maybe not first cousins i don't know exactly but but they were we, we know that mary and elizabeth were relatives so you know at those times when several times through the year when the families would gather together as clans for special holy days no doubt he would have known um uh, jesus i'm sure they played together um, and followed each other through the years so now they're both adults they would have still known each other and john would have known about him and my my thought was that, okay, at this moment, uh, John's eyes were opened as to who Jesus was, and that is why he objected to, to baptizing Jesus as recognizing he was Messiah. I don't need to baptize you. Um, but there's, there's some verses that suggest that maybe that's not exactly the order that happened. So if you flip over to John's Gospel... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 1. And we know that there are many passages. We're going to be picking up in verse 29. We know that there are many passages that are covered in common with what are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, they share a lot of the flow together. We know that John's gospel is different. Uh, the focus is different. The writings are different. But there are some events that are covered in all of the gospels, and the baptism of Jesus is one of those events. So in verse 29, it says, The next day he saw, and there's talking with John, about John the Baptist, says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me, comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, 
This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So the, the, the timing is a little bit different on this, but if you, if you uh, go down to verse 35, it says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And, you know, he identifies uh, Jesus again. Um, and some of John's disciples were Jesus' first disciples, and you can read that if you wish. But this, this paragraph that begins in verse 29 is kind of interesting because in verse 31 he says, I myself did not know him. And then in verse 33 it says, I myself did not know him. So there's, it seems like that when he saw Jesus coming toward him, uh, if we pick up Matthew's account, he says, hey, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to baptize me. But remember, what was John baptizing people for? He was baptizing them for repentance of their sins. Well, if he knew Jesus and, and was, you know, knew his life, um, he likely knew, you know, he's, he's doing better than I am. You know, he He's been following all the covenants. He's been raised in a, in this home. He he is obedient. You know, I know him. I know his spirit. You know, I don't know of anything that he needs to repent for. So some people say, well, maybe his objection was based on that. That, you know, you don't need to be coming here to be baptized with the baptism of repentance, because, and again, the order isn't totally clear, but he seems to say later in the, in that passage that. It was only when he saw, after the baptism, heaven open up and the Spirit descend down like a dove, that he knew that that was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah. Because it says that he was told by God, in verse 33 it says, I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water. So here he is basically saying, God is the one that told me to start the baptism with water, the baptism of repentance that I've been doing. God's the one that told me to do that. But he also told me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So it seemed that God gave him a sign to look for. And when he saw that sign, then he would know who the Messiah was, who was coming to bring the Holy Spirit. So just a, a little... Um, uh, twist there, and I had not really, um, I had not really caught that little shift in flow, and, and as to why John was objecting to baptizing Jesus, but it may have, it it may have been that he had not yet recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, but rather was just focusing on the fact that he didn't know of anything that Jesus needed to repent about. In any event, uh, we know that John uh, consents to baptize Jesus, and he does. And um, then we see uh, the heavens are opened. And there are a few places in Scripture where, where God speaks directly. This is one of them. And there are a couple of phrases that are used uh, when it says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Um, there are... References to Psalm, um, chapter 2, verse 7, uh, where 
prophetically, um, God is saying to you are my son. And then there's a reference to uh, Isaiah 42, where it says, you know, in uh, with whom I'm well pleased. Um, it says, Isaiah 42, uh, I think it's verse 1. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So what was interesting about this is that even in this day, in John's day, Psalm, the second chapter of Psalm was looked at as what we would call a messianic psalm, as a psalm referring to the Messiah. So we have this fusion in these few words where basically God quotes himself. So he picks up a, a little reference to Psalm chapter 2 where he's talking about the Messiah. And then we pick up this little fragment from Isaiah uh, 42, this whom I am well pleased part. And when you put those together, what do you have? You have a reference to the Messiah who's going to you know, save the world and and you bring forth justice and make everything right. But then in Isaiah, what do we talk about? We always talked about this concept of the suffering servant, which is another part of Jesus' ministry, uh, where he was a, a, suffer, a servant and where he did suffer um, in that regard. So in this one little phrase, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, um, the people that were around there would have would have caught those references being steeped in the Old Testament um, putting those two passages together of the of the Messiah with the suffering suffering servant, uh, if they hadn't thought about putting those two things together before, now there have two little pieces of prophecy brought together in this one person um, where something really special was going on. Now I don't know. Uh, I I presume that Jesus came as lots of others were being baptized. We know that at least John saw the heavens open up because that was his sign. I don't know if everybody else saw that, but if they did, that would have been pretty special to them and certainly would have um, been a stamp of authenticity on Jesus' ministry, which was fixing to um, kick off in earnest. And that's exactly what happens. So... um, we have God's recognition of those 30 years of, of growth and, and service and devotion. We have the Holy Spirit um, uh, descending down, uh, equipping Jesus for special service, of course. Um, and then we'll see in Matthew 4, um, it's, it's on at that point. And immediately, you know, um, Jesus goes to the to the wilderness to be tempted and so forth. So this is a, a big kind of break uh, as as Jesus' ministry is, is starting in earnest. So the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. So let's talk a little bit about baptism. Now, first of all, our terminology. So in in many evangelical Protestant faiths. Uh, We talk about baptism as being 
an ordinance of the church. You guys heard that term, an ordinance of the church. So what are the ordinances of the church, and why do we call them ordinances? So the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. Oh, there you are. Uh, and, and then the other is baptism. And why do we call them ordinances? Okay, because they were ordained by Christ, we're told to do them. But probably one of the biggest reasons we call them ordinances, we didn't want to call them sacraments, right? Because Roman Catholics call them sacraments. And we didn't want that there to be confusion. So, so I guess there's no particular order to, to this, but um, the Roman Catholic teaching about the sacraments is that they have the actual ability to confer um, grace upon the person that's receiving that sacrament, okay? Something substantive, something transformative happens in that act, right? So when they do the Eucharist, they think that wafer, after being blessed by the priest is actually transformed into a piece of the body of Jesus and you are actually eating the body of Jesus. Concept called transubstantiation. Which raises on a whole host of questions like, you know, how amazing is it that this priestly prayer can actually recreate Jesus right there on the altar? I mean, that's crazy. But but with this particular sacrament, the sacrament of baptism, they believe that this is this has regenerative power. This has the power to save. So, therefore, if it has the power to save, then you should be baptizing lots of people, right? And we know that they baptize infants, and they're not just baptizing them into the Roman Catholic Church. They believe they are baptizing them into into Christ in a, in a, in a salvation way. Um, and they call those sacraments. Now, there are some non-Catholic faiths, faiths that call what we call the Lord's Supper and Baptism sacraments, but they don't mean that they have saving potential, right? So not, not every church that would use the term sacraments believes like the Roman Catholics do. But I do think that one of the reasons that in Baptist circles, we're careful not to use that word, is to, to eliminate that confusion, to say, okay, we believe these are ordinances for the church, we think they're important, we'll talk about why we think they're important in a, in a moment, but, um, but we're not, um, we want to distance ourselves from, from some of those false teachings. So, um, so how do we baptize? So what are the different ways that people have gotten baptized through the years? So we can sprinkle. Uh, do you know some churches that sprinkle? So there's sprinkling, there's what? There's immersion, and then there's pouring, right? So what are some faiths that sprinkle? Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, ARP. They're some of the better Presbyterians. <laughs> I, I, like, I like our ARP folks. Um, 
I don't, I, pouring um, was mentioned. Uh, do you know any actual denominations that mostly do that? East Catholic. East Catholics pour. Catholics pour? Eastern. Eastern Orthodox? Okay. When I was Methodist, I, I was given a choice. Okay. Immersion, sprinkle, or pour. Okay. Well, I could have been at that time. All for diversity there. So equal opportunity uh, baptism. Yeah, so um, so a lot of different ways that, that churches have decided to, um, to uh, perform uh, baptism. And um, uh, Baptists typically are identified, one of our traits is that we believe that baptism should be by immersion, uh, where you go under and you come up. And so there's some verses that uh, would support that. Um, uh, one of the best ones, if you want to turn over to Acts chapter 8. If you go down to uh, verse 26, it starts off with the... Um, the word about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, it says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. And he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And we know that he invites Philip up there. And he teaches him and, and begins telling him the good news of Jesus. And in verse 36 it says, And they were going along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, there are a lot of reasons that we could support that baptism is typically by immersion. Um, the word baptizo that is usually used in the New Testament is uh, basically means to, to immerse. Uh, it was also used of the dye industry where you would dip your cloth into the dye. Um, I don't know if there was a lot of tie-dye going on back then, but, but it, was, it was, you know, putting it in there to, to dye the the cloth. Um, but I think just from a, without getting into languages and all that sort of stuff, this seems like a pretty straightforward story. Uh, if you were going to just sprinkle or pour, um, you know, this is a chariot caravan going through the desert. By definition, they had to bring their own water, not just for themselves, but for all the animals. If they wanted to sprinkle, they would have had water that they could have sprinkled. If they wanted to pour, they could have poured. But that wasn't the way it was done. So the eunuch was like, hey, wait a minute. Hold, hold the caravan. I see some water over there. And it says it was enough water that they both got down in it. it says, uh, verse 38, they both went down into the water and he baptized them. Then they came up out of the water. So it was enough to get down into and enough to come out of. So I think it's a pretty you know, a pretty common sense understanding of that story that he was going under and he was getting baptized by immersion. Uh, also, um, you know, John the Baptist, even though he wasn't, to be clear, he wasn't 
doing Christian baptism, right? He wasn't baptizing um, um, because people had believed in Jesus. He was baptizing for repentance, but, but he was baptizing by immersion, we think, because Jesus, you know, came, it came up out of the water, that same sort of language. He was in the river where there was enough water. He could have just been by the river if it was just a just a um, uh, a pouring so, or a sprinkling sort of thing. Uh, so there's there's plenty of evidence that baptism is by immersion. Um, sorry. So who are we going to baptize? Um, well, the, we believe the Bible believes, uh, or rather, reports that um, baptism is for believers. So we believe in what's called believers' baptism. Um, in Matthew 28, we'll, we'll look at the Great Commission uh, a few months or weeks from now. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So um, you've got disciples, you've got believers in Christ. You should baptize them. Also, you have to think about, well, what, what is baptism doing? Um, uh, we, we would say that this is a symbol of our relationship with Christ, our belief in Christ. But a lot of the phrasing that is used, if you've seen people get baptized, as, or perhaps you can reflect to your own baptism, what do we say? Is that this person was buried, and, um, you know, and that's signifying that you know, you're going under and um, you died to the old way and you're coming out, signifying your new way of life. In Romans uh, 6, Paul uses this term, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So believer's baptism and baptism by immersion is, is symbolizing this death world way of life and rising up to be with Christ. Um, Galatians uh, 3.27, it says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. So this concept of baptism being related to belief in Jesus um, is, is pretty plain, just like the story that we read of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, he gets saved and wants to respond by being uh, baptized. Um, some of the faiths um, uh, that we would consider, you know, evangelical Protestant faiths, um, don't just baptize adults or believers, right? You can have, obviously, uh, children who are believers, but, but they would um, go so far as to baptize infants, right? So infant baptism, all right? Uh, was anyone baptized as an infant? So pretty common in, in many faiths, including many that we have tons in common. Um, uh, many people uh, have, have uh, considered um, doctrinal topics um, as some are super important and some are of lesser important. Uh, this past Wednesday, uh, Pastor Bobby was talking about uh, how we look at end times and eschatology. Um, and he said, you know, there are some topics we hold tightly and some we hold more loosely. And how you view about end times is one you have more loosely. And certainly we should not um, break fellowship with uh, any of our Christian brothers or sisters just because we might believe a little bit different about whether infants should be baptized or not. 
But it does lead to some awkward um, explanations. So the, the general concept of, of why you would support infant baptism if you weren't Catholic, um, it's, not, it's not super clear to understand. Uh, and I, I probably won't be doing it as good a justice as someone who actually believes it. But I'll, I'll at least give the argument as I understand it. So, if you're a Baptist and you believe that baptism is symbolic of your faith in Christ, pretty clear to explain, right? I believed in Jesus. I want to identify myself with Christ and with other believers in the church. And so I want to be baptized. That's easy. If you're a Catholic, it's pretty easy. I believe that that if you're baptized by the priest, then 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 you're going to be you're saved, and and you're part of the church now, and you know you're you're part of, of Christ's family. You've been baptized, and and you are saved. Well, that's pretty easy to explain too. Well, here's kind of how the argument goes: if you believe in in joining Christ by faith, but yet you also also believe in infant baptism. And it pulls out this concept of covenant. All right? And so, uh, since we call ourselves Covenant Baptist Church to the outside world, they might wonder, how, what do we mean when we say covenant? Now, we know what we mean, but other people may not. All right. So, basically, the concept um, gets wrapped up into comparing the New Testament symbolism of joining the church, basically, of baptism, with the Old Testament symbolism of being part of God's covenant family by circumcision. Okay? So the argument goes something like this. Well, in the Old Testament, infants were circumcised. Right? We know that every male child... In, in Abraham's family was circumcised and we read even that there was trouble if you were told to circumcise and didn't remember um, had to go back and um, was it Moses' sons that had to go back and get circumcised because they hadn't been mm-hmm. right so um, so in the Old Testament a sign of your covenant relationship with God was through circumcision so much so that Everybody in your house had to be circumcised, right? It was your slaves, your, your um, you know, foreigners that were traveling with you. All the guys had to be circumcised or else there was going to be trouble. So they're saying that that, that was a, a symbol that you were going to be part of God's family back then. And then they say that the New Testament parallel to being part of God's covenant family is baptism. And probably the verse that they would use as part of this was um, uh, is in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. It's, it says, and this is Paul, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So here we have 
Paul putting circumcision and baptism all in the same verse, um, somehow equating them. All right? Um, so that would be one of the uh, verses that they might use. But the thing is, there's really no evidence in Scripture that infants were baptized. Okay? Now, some will go to, if, I don't know if you're still in Acts, but if you flip over in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, I think that was a perfect spot for that joke. Thank you. Ben. All right, verse 37. So this is the aftermath of Peter's sermon. This is Acts chapter 2. Now when, it, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said... And, and they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's where it gets interesting. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So they would say, Well, this promise to your children, um, that's, that's included. So... The general concept, I think, in practice in these churches is if you have infant baptism, what they think it means is a conveyance of grace upon this infant, not saving grace, it would be clear to say, but a way of means of grace to this infant signifying that they are part of this covenant family with these two Christian parents, and somehow they have been baptized into that family, that's kind of, and it gets a little vague for me after that. It seems like what they're actually saying is that, and, and there are different views on this, but that the infant has been baptized in expectation that they will be saved, um, looking toward that day and also indicating that they are part of this family who intends to raise them up and, and so forth. Um, Would that be kind of like we have baby dedication? So I don't know the history of baby dedications, but my hunch is it's probably, this is, I'm going off script here, okay? My hunch is that it may be part of the reason that we don't like to use the word sacraments. I'm sure somewhere in our history somebody came to the Baptist faith and had grown up in a tradition where infants were baptized and they said, well, I've got this baby, I want to follow the Lord. Here's my baby. And the pastor probably said something like, yeah, we don't baptize babies. And they said, well, what do we do? Uh, okay, let's have a baby dedication because we're not going to baptize, but we'll have this event that shows. I, I expect it was something like that, right? <laughs> so, so we put it kind of on the, the parents. Um, uh, kind of like, um, oh, I'm blanking. Who is the, uh, the was it Hannah that, that dedicated her baby? Uh, was it Samuel? Yeah. 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 
Samuel. I haven't dusted off those neurons. Yeah. So Hannah de- <laughs> dedicated Samuel, um, and so you know we for service uh, to God, and and maybe that you know we dedicate our children to God. Um, it was probably something like that, but I, my assumption is, with my partially cynical self, that it was somebody who wanted to do something special for this family, uh, but they didn't want to call it a baptism because they knew it wasn't baptism. So, so that's that. All right. So now that we had you and I, just for people to know, we dedicated. Oh, I know. I'm I'm not against infant. I'm not against baby dedications at all. But somebody said, "How did it start?" My hunch is it was probably something like that. <coughs> All right, so to review, we believe in believer's baptism. We believe that you should be baptized by immersion. We are in great fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters who might believe a little differently about infant baptism. To be clear, the faiths that we mentioned, like our ARP friends and so forth, they do not believe baptism saves. Okay? They, they know that. I mean, they're clear about that. Right. I mean, am I right? My two girls were baptized, right. but I remember the minister saying, this is not for salvation. Exactly. And it's for the parents to raise them the right way under grace. Right. Both girls now have been immersed. Yeah. So, um, anyway, it's, um, I think the uh, evangelical free church actually is compromised. They're like, you can be a pastor who believes in infant baptism. You can be a pastor if you don't. Uh, and if you're a parent who wants to have your infant baptized, you go get a different preacher. Um, so they kind of just straddle that fence, uh, which is bumpy. All right, we better go. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, um, that we can believe in you. We can be part of your family um, through faith. Um, we thank you that we can follow um, the... Uh, symbolism of a believer's baptism and that we can identify with each other and with your church in that way. Uh, We thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. And like always, Dad can clean up my neck next week. I was raised Catholic, and from what I remember, 